Welcome back to The Highway to Well. Today we're talking with Rachel Druckenmiller, owner of Unmuted. Rachel's work helps us navigate our collective grieving processes through COVID and other life experiences and to develop our stories so that we can activate hope and optimism on the road to thriving. She champions resilience, connections, and care in organizations and individuals. And she's one of our favorites here. Let's get on the highway to well. Welcome back to the Highway to Well. We're here with Rachel Druckenmiller, speaker, facilitator, and CEO of Unmuted. And for me and us here at Highway to Well, Rachel is one of our most favorite people on Terra Firma. And her message of connection, collaboration, communication, resilience, finding our authentic selves, exploring ways to help us thrive our messages that uh, are are not only timeless, but are at the top of our priority list in kind of this COVID and to some degree starting to come out of a post-COVID life. And the last time we talked with Rachel, she had just left her corporate cocoon and was branching out and starting her own venture at Unmuted. And so since that time, she has witnessed a lot of things and has been brought to the forefront of the field in helping organizations and individuals find their find their best selves and to thrive in their work. And, and she's also been through many adventures of her own. So Rachel, I want to welcome you back to Highway to Well. It's been a, been a little while, but we're grateful to have you back and to share your journey over the past few years since you started Unmuted. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here to, to talk about it and just invite people. I think whenever we have these conversations, we get to invite people to reflect on their own experience and how how to whatever they're going through is maybe connected to something that they hear and that they would maybe, you know, so I'll maybe ask some questions along the way too, as, as, as part of it to just invite people to think about, you know, their own experiences and, and um, what they've grown through and gone through. And, and um, yeah, so we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah. It, I, I'm excited because I think we're, we're at this really interesting place in the field where we're um, it's, COVID has kind of ripped open the opportunity for us to really get to good discussions about issues that, you know, for, for us, for, you know, people like you and I have been in the field for a while, like these are conversations we've always had, but the priority within the organizational setting hadn't always been what we wanted it to be. And we kept pushing the conversation to, to be uplifted to the top of the priority within that organization on issues like resilience burnout and compassion fatigue in, in healthcare settings or wherever you're helping people, but also to talk about collaboration, communication, and creativity and all these things that are part of our wellness picture, but they really weren't necessarily at the top of the list because we were so focused on risk management, disease prevention, and we really focused on the output of, of measurable ROI connections to what we term wellness. And, and you know, we've been fighting that battle and trying to light the fires of these other conversations for years. And sometimes they happen, but this COVID environment, you know, and it's been tragic in a lot of ways, but it's also been the silver lining um, opportunity for us to get to 
really what do we value about our work? What do we, how can we build resilient people and resilient organizations? And how can we also build strong foundations for people to thrive in what they're doing? Because we've learned that we're, we've been overstressed for a while and the pace of everything in code and we kind of like couldn't set back. We learned a lot about ourselves. And so you deal with this on a daily basis. This is really at the, at the, really the cornerstone of your work is to help people thrive. So over you know the past two years, what have you seen going on? And, and tell us a little bit about what you see in the workforce today or in the primary issues that you've been talking about with companies and individuals. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say the primary thing that I'm seeing is really that people are in a state of, of just chronic disconnection. Um, we already knew that we had a loneliness you know, epidemic before the pandemic arrived. And what we've had to kind of go through with social distancing and, and social isolation, all of that has exacerbated it. And so, you know, I think one of the things that I see consistently in the conversations that I have with people is I see people are feeling disconnected. People are not feeling, people are feeling invisible. People are feeling, I've heard words used as strongly as defeated. I've talked to employers and it's working with a pharmacy benefit management consulting company and doing a series of workshops for their employees. And that was the word that they used. They said, our people are feeling defeated um, or people are judging themselves. People are being very harsh with themselves right now. And um, there's an accounting firm. I was, I was doing a workshop series with around resilience and I had them do an intake survey. And one of the words that kept coming up from multiple people in that survey was that people feel like, I feel like I'm being lazy. I don't have energy. I can't seem to get my energy back. I'm stuck in a negative thought pattern. I can't seem to get motivated. And so what I think a lot of people have needed that I feel like I've been able to, to offer and invite them into is to recognize that what they've been going through is a process of grieving Grieving the loss of so much, grieving the loss of what was normal, grieving the loss of how social interactions happen, grieving the loss of safety, grieving the loss, you know, there's so many things that we've, that we've grieved, the loss that we've experienced loss of, but not necessarily given ourselves space to grieve. Like we went through the point of we're shocked, what the heck, we can all remember, right? In the spring of 2020, when we thought to ourselves, what the heck is happening? What is this? We were shocked and then we went into denial and we thought, well, this is really temporary, right? This isn't a thing that's going to last forever. And then we sort of just had to buck up, pull it together and keep moving forward as though that didn't affect us. But the reality is the stages of, of grief around, you know, frustration, anger and sadness and depression are, have been just kind of percolating under the surface and they've not been addressed by many employers and they've not been addressed by people in conversations and instead, I'm finding that people are being very judgmental of themselves and saying things like, I'm lazy, I'm unmotivated, I can't find energy. You might be burned out, depressed, or going through some other element of grief right now. That might be what it, let's, let's call it what it really is. And I find that people, in how alone they're feeling, they feel so validated and they feel so, so normalized just to hear things like that and then to, to be in conversations and I'm curious for you, John, and then for anyone listening to reflect on like a question I might ask people. I do a lot of facilitated workshops where I bring people in and out of connection choreographies um, to talk to each other and learn from each other. And one of the questions I often ask is, you know, what's a way that you've adapted over the past year, either personally or professionally, that makes you most proud? And 
in one of those conversations, it was doing something for, and I do quite a bit in the professional services industry. So this is another accounting firm. And one of the women came back from that small group and I opened up the floor if whoever wants to share. And she came back after I'd walked them through the grief process and a chart around grief. And she, in front of all of her peers, about 60 people, raised her hand and said, I think I'm at that green dot. The green dot was depression. She's like, I think I'm at that green dot. And I just didn't realize it until now. And the chat, I mean, blew up. People were like, we're here for you. Like, are you okay? You know, we're supported. We, we love you. And then several people reached out to HR and they were like, is there anything we need to do to support her? Is she okay? And so it just opened up, I mean, what courage, first of all. What what courage to do? I mean, accounting is not stereotypically known for people being emotive or expressive, <laughs> um, right? So exactly. anyway, just that opportunity to connect with somebody can create this light bulb moment where you realize there's nothing wrong with you. You're going through a really difficult time and you're having a normal human reaction. Yeah, I, there's a couple of things that you brought up there that I think are really important for us to have a better understanding of. And, and and so there's some umbrella topics or in the workplace. So like for mental health and so prior to COVID, anytime mental health was brought up, we typically just turned our heads to the right and asked our EEP people, okay, you guys, this is your area. Well, and you think about that fundamentally, like that's not how we should be thinking about mental health. It shouldn't be a silo approach that our EAP team services. We know, you know, EAP is such a fundamentally strong part of an organization, but it's still somewhat small. Um, Most EAP usage is around like 2% of an employee population, and it's really built for crisis management. And so what do you do when the entire organization is in a crisis mode like COVID? And everyone is feeling overwhelmed by the situation, and we're not comfortable with understanding or we need to be we need to have some navigation process to figure out oh this is what grieving feels like so we didn't lose what we typically think about losing to grief but we've lost our freedom or we've lost our um, autonomy we've lost our control of our processes and our environment we're not for, you know, and early on in COVID, it, we had a lot of fear and anxiety or just going to the store or what do I do? How do I, what are my kids going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to live through this? And yes, it is a normal human reaction for us to buck up and try to get through it. But that takes a massive amount of energy and it takes a massive pull on us. We know this and plenty, plenty of science about our, our responses to stress tell us that we're capable, but the extension and the continuation of that is really damaging to ourselves in a lot of different ways. So that is such a brave uh, statement for someone, especially like in, in the accounting field to come forward and say, oh, here it is, it's depression. And we're going through these stages of grieving. And part of that is, is going through depression or depression-like states. And if we recognize it, then we can, then we can, help ourselves and allow help to be um, received or, you know, for us to find out, you know, the resources that we have available to help. And I think that's been a critical part that organizations are feeling is to try to try to do what they can for their employees and trying to understand what they need 
in a very difficult and challenging environment to even understand what they need because this is being felt in so many different ways and in in different capacities. And you know, that's that's that while we, while we can adapt, that that adaptation takes a massive toll on us. And now as we're getting to the stages of of small bits of normalcy, now we're left with the undergrowth of what happened to us in that stage. And now, now coming out of that is really challenging for a lot of people and for organizations. Yeah, it it is. And I think what's required, and this is kind of the final, one of the final stages of the grieving process, right, is meaning-making and integration. And so how do we look at what's happened and say, okay, we may not like what's happened. What did we learn from it? What is any, what is, what is something, well, one, give people the opportunity to talk about what is something that you're gr- grieving? What is a loss or a change from the past year that, that you know, has affected you? To give people space to share, you know, and to, to normalize that. And, you know, what is something that changed over the past year that you're going to carry forward with you? You know, for me, the opportunity to speak virtually has been a game changer because the only way that I got paid and so many other speakers got paid before COVID was you had to be on a plane all the time. And, you know, I really value my marriage and I value my friendships and I also value my health and well-being. And that is not conducive to any of those, to supporting those other areas of our lives. And so to be able to do this virtually and to see, you know, to, to, to just show people that you can foster connection, you can foster engagement, you can foster collaboration I've had many people in my sessions be in tears at the end of them, including a you know CFO and other people that you would never expect. And it's because, you know, what I what I feel like I'm here to do is to activate, activate hope in people. And when people feel hopeful, it moves them. When people feel connected, it moves them. When people feel seen and heard, it moves them. And so this opportunity to integrate, to say, what do we want to carry with us from the, from the past year? We don't want to just erase it because there were some good things that came out of it. What do we want to carry forward with us? And what do we want to do perhaps differently moving forward? What's something that we want to open ourselves up to um, that maybe we haven't considered or something that we've been considering that we want to explore and try? You know? So I think that process of integrating, of, of not wanting to erase the past, but choosing to accept that it happened you know, which is hard when you're going through something traumatic. We just sometimes want to wish it away, bargain against it, right? Deny that it's deny that it exists, but that doesn't help us. That ultimately creates, this is something I'm working through with my therapist too, is a lack of integration. It's like this part of myself, we're going to leave over here, but this part of myself I'm okay with. And we can't come to a place of wholeness or fullness as an organization or as an individual if we don't learn to connect those two things together. Right. Well, and you and I have talked about this before too, but so, so we take that, uh, that question. So what moves people? And like you said, you're, and, and this is the, this is the absolute tremendous part of your work that, that we all know and love and, and want to share is that you're, you really are involved in activating people. And I, that's such a great way to theme like what you really are doing is you're activating people and that could come in the form of hope or understanding their values or, or thinking about the changes that they want to make and going through behavior change process and all these different things. But really what you're doing is, is moving them to a greater place. And so let's think about that in the field. So 
and taking these integration parts. So that's not a common way to view your wellness program in a corporate setting. Typically, we start with what can you measure? How, are, how sick are people? And, yeah. and then we try to go from there. And then at somewhere along that way, sometimes we bring in these questions of, well, well what is it about their thriving or what is it about their happiness that may impact these things? But wow, that's really hard to measure. So I don't know how much time we're going to be able to spend thinking about that in the big picture. Yeah. COVID kind of peeled back that layer a little bit and has given us an opportunity to say, actually, I mean, those are the things that matter more. And engagement is more about how people feel about their work rather than what their blood pressure score is. And while we want that, I mean, we're not dismissing the value of like biometric information, but you put all of our cards into the basket and wellness and say, we're going to measure and we're going to reduce healthcare costs. And we're going to do it because we're going to identify and stratify. Well, the limitations on that are clear. And what's even more clear than ever or clearer than ever is that addressing resilience and addressing connection and addressing hope, opportunity, vibrancy are all really critical parts to your wellness culture. And if you aren't addressing those at your organization, I'm not sure you're really serving your employees very well. No, I and, agree with that. And so and that's been, and I want to, I want to talk, I want to I continue to talk about that, but I also want to, I want you to talk about your journey here over the past couple of years and, and, and where, your ideas about resiliency have evolved and developed because of your own path into this in, in your own work. And, and we talked about this um, before we started here is when the last time we talked, this was prior to COVID and you were just getting started with your company and then yeah. here comes COVID. And then, and then you also had a personal incident that has left also um, I'll, let, I'll let you you know, talk about it, but it's also opened that opportunity for you to really own that resiliency from a deeply personal and authentic way, which is, I'm sure, has just increased your opportunity to help people thrive. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your journey here over the past couple of years as we've gotten to where we are today. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I remember, I don't know what it was on years ago. I remember hearing Robin Roberts say the ABC anchor say, make your mess your message. And that's always resonated with me because that's essentially what I've done my whole, like, my, my working life is to make all the things that I've gone through that were messy into the message that I have to deliver. So there's a certain degree of authenticity with it. So as I was overcoming, you know, health issues myself and dealing with digestive issues myself, and as I was, you know, dealing with these things, that's how I got into health coaching eight years ago and started a blog and started teaching workshops and cooking demos. And then, you know, in 2017, when I burned out and got mono in the midst of, I had a lot of time to think and to be still and to be quiet and to just reflect on, on where I was and what I was doing. And I'd been in the wellness, well-being wellness industry since 2007. So it was 10 years in at that point. And, and what I decided to do is I was like, I, what I realized at that time was the thing that was really the secret 
to thriving well-being was community. It was community. Like that was the thing. I was not somebody prior to that, you know, who would really reach out and ask for help from people. And I learned because I had no other choice to just to rely on people and to allow people to support me and check in on me and reach out. And I, I started reaching out to people in a way that I really hadn't previously. And so I started building out workshops on how to, how to beat burnout as I was figuring out how to recover from burnout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I could give a very real message. I'm like, Hey, I had a dream that I was drowning. And then six months later I was diagnosed with burnout. And so over the past two years, you know, I, I left the, the company where I, where I was and I worked for a benefits consulting firm. And, you know, I left in September of 2019 and seven months later, COVID hit. And I was a full-time speaker who was doing all live events. And I was like, Whoa, you gotta, you gotta pivot word of the year, right? You gotta pivot Rachel. And so I, I started doing that. And I, I, you know, this is the value of establishing a brand over a period of time. I had people coming to me. I had HR organizations coming to me saying, Hey, we're scrapping our programming for April because people don't really care about the topic we were going to talk about. Can you come in and just kind of like stop the bleeding? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that happened with several HR organizations are like, our people are really having a hard time and you bring people hope and you make them feel better. And can you just come in and do a thing? And so I started speaking. I started doing workshops about building hope and resilience in the midst of uncertainty. Because I was like, relevance, you have to be relevant, right? That is what gets people to pay attention is when we're relevant to whatever the pain point is that they have in the moment. And that's where people were, right? They were, they were looking to be resilient and they were feeling very hopeless. And then uh, be careful what you wish for or focus on because then <laughs> less than two months later, I was out on a run with my husband and a pickup truck turning right at a red light uh, ran right into me. And I ended up at the hospital with a compression fracture in my lower back. And was really scared. You know, I was really to to get a diagnosis of a back fracture at, you know, thirty five was not was not something I was really parting part of my plan in the midst of the unplanned mess that was the spring of twenty twenty, right? And I was in a back brace for two months and on muscle relaxers and in a lot of pain and and just really frustrated. You know, I was really down, felt really down, and I continued to do my work. The thing that care I really think the thing that carried me through last spring was a sense of purpose. I was very clear on what I was here to do, which was that I knew I had insights that could help people. And I knew that sharing them behind my computer while wearing a back brace on double doses of extra strength Tylenol for, you know, a couple of months, that that was going to convey the message in a much stronger way to say, hey, ever ever feel like you got hit by a truck? And people ask you that, I'm like, Yes. I would not recommend it. Um, it sucks. <laughs> but it had, I, had, I, I had this immediate connection point and I had a compelling story. I certainly didn't plan this to happen, but people remembered the story. And because people remember the story, people remembered me and they got more connected. And so then I had more people just organically reaching out to me. Hey, will you come in and do something for us? I, was, I heard this keynote you did. Can you come to our company? And so it started opening up all these doors. I don't know if those doors would have opened in the same way if I didn't have that story to tell at a time where um, I think people wanted a distraction from their own stuff. And they're like, my situation sort of sucks. Like I'm not working in my office and I have to homeschool my kids, but at least I didn't get hit by a truck and break my back, (laughs) you know, sort of gave them a sense of like, you know, I don't believe in comparative suffering and doing this, what my dad calls pain Olympics, but, but I think it did then give them some perspective of like, oh, okay, I guess it could be a little worse. <laughs> it sucks, but it could also be, it could also be worse. So, you know, I just 
pivoted with, with that. And, you know, organizations were struggling with connection and people were feeling disconnected and they're used to being in an office. And how do we foster that when they're not? And, and so I got brought in to do workshops on resilience and resetting mindset and fostering collaboration and connection and just bringing people through experiences to connect with each other and share stories with each other and, you know, brainstorm with each other. And I've been so moved by the stories that I've heard that have emerged from those experiences. And I have felt more purposeful in my work over the past year than I ever have before. Yeah. I, I think that's, so your, your message to be fair, hasn't really changed over time. I mean, you've been doing this for a while and this has been your purpose for a while and these layers have just been added. But I think that, that we're at a place where more people are wanting that direct message. And we talked a little bit about this, about getting past like the antics and the smoke and mirrors of things that we typically call our wellness ideas or programming or whatever it is in the structure, especially in our organizations. Yeah. We've kind of, we kind of have these um, preemptive blocks on what we think is our health and well-being because of how it's managed, directed, or defined outside of our scope of life. And here we are in the middle of a massive crisis of, of our self and our souls and our work and our family. And, and then, you know, for you to having going through, you know, physical crisis as well. And so your, your message anchors into people differently than it, probably would have if you had, you know, suggestion about what what if you got hit by a truck and you're actually talking about I got hit by a truck. It definitely is a more honest approach, but it doesn't deviate from where you've been either. Like you have always been giving these messages to people. But now I think that that's one of the great things about this COVID environment is that we've stripped away the antic. And people just want really an opportunity to feel okay and you talk a lot about permission and i and i want to get to that point because in the conversations a lot of the conversations i have it's there is a awakening of ourselves to try to understand why we feel the way we do and a lot of a lot of people struggle with defining that and giving permission so there's a lack of definition sometimes and that goes back to like we're grieving like, let's call it what it is. We're grieving in a mass way. So let's go through those stages and talk about that. And that may help me navigate this for myself. But there's also the permission part and the willingness to be um, in our own self-care and our own self-love, our own pathways to well-being are really built on our permission to allow ourselves to feel. Yeah. And then that gives us the opportunity to build a process around that rather than diminish or discourage or even hide that feeling somewhere else when we know that all these things are so integrated into how we get through our days. And so that's a lot of your work is built on giving permission. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that process and how do we, how do you get people to reset their mindset and give permission to themselves to take those steps towards really getting to a better place? Yeah. So one, there's a great book that I would recommend everyone check out called 
it's called Permission to Feel by uh, Mark Brackett, who uh, heads up the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And so it's a really great book. And, you know, through my process, I, even though my background's in psychology, my undergrad degree's in psychology, I didn't, I wasn't really connected to my own sense of feeling for most of my life. I'm very much in my head a lot of the times and would sort of ignore like my body signals my body was sending to me. And I started, you know, as I was going through my healing journey with digestive issues, you know, eight years ago, I started to get more curious and I started switching to seeing all uh, functional medicine and integrative medicine doctors who really understood the mind body connection. Um, And more recently as a result of the car accident and healing and processing that, I started seeing a somatic therapist. So a somatic therapist is trained in mind-body integration. Um, and a lot of therapists will just really, you know, talk to, and, and there's all, you know, any, any therapy that is effective for you, I would support, right? So I'm not saying this somatic therapy is the only way to go, but particularly with people that have dealt with trauma, um, because trauma gets stored in the body. It gets stored in our tissues. It gets stored in our nervous system. And there's like, Big T trauma, when we think of, you know, somebody might have had a horribly abusive parent, um, uh, and there's little T trauma. There's little things that along the way that happened, we had these micro moments of feeling rejected in school over and over again, and it accumulates to create this sense of trauma. And so I'm understanding that from her. There's, there's a great, really what led me to somatic therapy was a book called The Body Keeps the Score, um, which is about really how trauma shows up in the body, and it's just incredible. So yeah, the book's called The Body Keeps the Score. And so as I started seeing her, what the amazing thing, I've been to therapists before, but what started to happen in my first visit is she does a combination of what's called rolfing, which is a form of like myofascial release. So because trauma and, and emotions are stored in our tissues, she integrates that. And she's also a, a trained, um, a licensed psychotherapist. So she, she really knows how the body and mind talk to each other. And so she had me um, get on the, like a massage type table at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the session. Well, maybe about 20 minutes in. And she was kind of working down on some tissue on my upper right leg. I was laying on my back. And she, she constantly had me say, what are you noticing in your body? Most of us don't ever ask ourselves that question. We start, to, we start to notice, we get flustered. Where, pause, what are you noticing in your body right now? What are you noticing in your body? She'll constantly, even in therapy session, if she noticed my posture shifts or my feet start to stop being, you know, if they're not flat on the ground anymore, she'll call it out. So part of it is just starting to acknowledge and to notice what Dan Siegel calls name it to tame it, right? So start to name the emotions that we're feeling. And I often say most of us have more vocabulary for describing the nuances of a glass of craft beer than we do for our own emotions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so part of it is we have to learn these things. We have to learn how to, what the words are and what the feelings are. And and so she was, I was laying on the table. She was working my right leg. She said, what do you notice right now in your body? And I said, I feel like my body is resisting you. And she said, like, you want to push me away? And I said, well, I just met her a half hour before. I'm like, no, I would not like to push you away. Like, I would like you to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so she stood on the side of the table. She's in her early 60s. Stood on the side of the table in kind of a stance with her hands up in front of her. And she said, I want you to push me. So I kind of sat up and I pushed her. And she goes, push me again harder. So I pushed her again. I did it about three or four times. And then the last time I laid back on the table and she said, what are you noticing right now? And John, it was the craziest thing. I did not see this coming from a mile away. I drew my hands to my face and I just started sobbing. And I said, 
I wanted to push the truck away and I couldn't. And for me, and I cried for like two minutes and she just let me cry. She just like, yes, that's good. Yes, let that. Because so often we stop ourselves or we start to get teary eyed and we're like, be strong, be strong, get it, mm-hmm. hold it together, keep it together. No, it is strong to let yourself feel. It is strong to let yourself feel. And so in that moment, I just fully let myself feel what I was feeling. And it was like this release, right? It was this release of, oh my gosh, my body has felt this sense of being disempowered and immobilized for six months. Because it was six months into after the accident happened that I was seeing her. And I was like, I'm coming to you every week. Like, I don't know what that magic ninja move you just pulled, but <laughs> I know you can help me. You know, it was that immediate knowing. Because sometimes you have to experiment with therapists before you find somebody that works for you. But just in that moment, I was like, she gets me. She sees me. And so in every session, it's, and, and you, don't, you could do this on your own, of checking in with yourself. A couple times a day, there's, a, there's an app called Mood Meter that came out, that's also out of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. It's a dollar. And so if you're like, I don't know how to do this. Okay, well, you can use the app and it'll, you know, you can select kind of what zone of their four quadrants you're in. And then it will give you tips on what to do. So, so, you know, just even grounding yourself, getting your feet flat on the floor, just sitting up, sitting up a little bit straighter, noticing what you're feeling and where you're feeling it. Because certain bodily sensations are often paired with certain emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you notice, for instance, I imagine this resonates, when you notice that you're starting to feel angry, like what are some things, or you're starting to get upset, right? What are some physiological things that you notice? Just out of curiosity. Um, I can feel the tension rising. So, and, and usually my hands will rise up into more of like a posture, like a fighting posture. But I'm not where I start to recognize like my, my frustration and anger is starting to escalate. So I need to breathe. Just start with very deep breaths and just let it out. And, and so sometimes it's like a, it's like a really big sigh, but yeah. it helps me then de-escalate pretty quickly. Yeah. Pretty quickly in that. And so I've recognized that about myself. And that's how even even when it's just tension moment, my my I tend to bring up like my arms into like a folding or like a fighting posture. And then I know, okay, breathe, just breathe, go through steps of breathing, and then and then hopefully most of the time that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and what the breathing does, and I often teach a, the process of four, seven, eight breathing to people where you breathe in through your nose into your lower belly for a count of four, you hold your breath for a count of seven. Do you want to do that for folks right now? So people listening can go through this with us. Sure. Okay. Sure. I'm pretty so, mad. So here's, here's what works. The reason this works. So people hear breathing's so good for you. Why? I always want to know why, why, why? It's the power, the power of breathing comes on the exhale because it's the long, slow exhale that activates the restful branch of your nervous system, which then puts your thinking brain back online because our thinking brain, our whole brain's a thinking brain, but our prefrontal cortex goes offline when we're in a state of fear, anxiety, or frustration. Um, And so we want to bring it back online and we do that through breathing. So the way that it works, you put your hands on your lower belly. um, You know, if anyone listening, close your eyes as long as you're not driving. Close your eyes if you want to reduce further stimulation to the nervous system. You're going to breathe in through the nose into the lower belly like you're blowing up a balloon for a count of four. You're going to hold for seven and then exhale kind of like a release, like you're, you're forcing air through a straw is what the exhale is going to be like. 
So you're forcibly pushing air out and it is that exhale that activates the calm branch of the nervous system. So, all right, breathe in for a count of four through the nose. One, two, three, four, hold. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And then usually at that point, I would ask folks to notice, what are you noticing? So, right. So much of this is noticing. We're just not aware. We're not paying attention to our own body speaking from experience. Like I so often miss my own body's cues to me. So what we notice is like what our shoulders drop. We feel a release to your point using the word tension, right? We notice maybe our mind's clear. I've heard people say, I heard the clock ticking. Like we become aware of things we weren't aware of when we weren't pausing. And that process, I do that with a lot of organizations. And it's funny, that is the thing people remember more than almost anything else. <laughs> Not like, but it is one of the things that they carry forward. I talked to a client yesterday that's in the like research and science space of what they do. And I did a workshop for them in October and the HR leader said, People still talk about this. People are still using this process. They're like, oh, wait, now we got, let's do the, let's do the four, seven, eight thing. I'm like, oh, well, that's good because you hope when you do this work that it carries, but you know, that's part of it is getting, is getting reconnected to the body. And the way we get out of a reactive mind is by getting back into the body, whether it's a breathing or some form of movement or, or, or laughter or crying or doing like a body scan where you check, but all these ways to get reconnected to the body helps us to make more sense in a holistic and integrated way of what we're experiencing in the moment. And so that I, I think would be some of the most helpful insight to, to share with folks around this, giving yourself permission to feel and not judging. Oh, why am I not over this yet? Why am I, well, everyone else seems to be okay and moving on, but I still don't feel like I am. Or that person lost 30 pounds. I've heard, you know, we've heard all sorts of stories in COVID, right? Some people have, have, you know, come out with their books and, or launched a podcast or, or, or dropped 30 pounds or gotten married or had a baby. And then other people are literally barely hanging on and they're judging themselves because they're comparing themselves to the person that seemingly has it all together. And so one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves and each other is permission to be where we are, to give, to give, I like to say, to give permission to our process because our process is not the same as somebody else's process. And the way that we navigate whatever we're going through is based on our history too. And it's based on the resources we have access to and our perception of those resources and whatever skills we've built to manage and regulate our own emotions. So I think grace, that to me has been one of the major words of the past year is, is grace. It's been a ton of grit, but also a tremendous amount of grace that's necessary if we're going to get through really difficult times um, more, more effectively and, and as more as a, as a human, you know, we're not robots. <laughs> right. It, it's so true. I, I love hearing your story here because of what you're telling through your own experience about the need for us to be better connected to, to our body in, in, in a different way. A lot of us are not aware of how disconnected we are. And, and I, and so, and it's good, and I love that you said, not only, I mean, obviously you can do this mediated by like a therapist or someone that, you know, and someone who's trained in whatever capacity you're working with, but you can also do it too for yourself. And 
check in with yourself. And I had, you know, it reminds me of a few years ago. I, so when I was director of the National Wellness Institute and we had the National Wellness Conference here in the summer and there were like 1,200 people here in Stevens Point and my job is to make sure all their lives are perfect for a week. And so I'm running this conference and at 10 o'clock on like the third night, because those so it was after like the first full day. So after our pre-conferences, our first full day of full conferencing. So everyone is in Stevens Point and everyone's happy. And we're having like a post-day social hour. I get a call from my sister, also Oklahoma. So I'm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And my sister in Tulsa just lets me know that my father was taken to the hospital with a heart condition, like something happened, but she wasn't sure yet. And the only reason why she knew is that her husband works as a paramedic. And so he heard the radio scan that there was an ambulance sent to my father's house. So, and so there was this immediate, like, what's going on situation. And my dad had had a, a couple of knee surgeries and had been battling staph infections. So that's what I knew about, like, his current state of health. And so she told me she would call me when she got to the hospital. So she went to the hospital we found out that he had had a, he had had a heart attack and that he was under treatment, but they were doing a lot of testing and they were deeply concerned about him being with his staph infections, you know, his staph infections taking over his body. And that would be tragic and could be life ending. So I'm in Stevens Point at like 10 o'clock on a, on a Monday night trying to figure out what do I do? How what can I do? Like, what's the situation and how alarming is it? And, and so she eventually then called me back a couple hours later. So now we're nearing around midnight and, and she was speaking with the doctors. And so she was asking the doctor, well, this is his son in Wisconsin. Like what, what did I tell him? And he basically said, well, tell him to try to get here as soon as he can. So I'm in Stevens point and, and it's midnight and I'm running the one event we have all year for my job. So everything about my professional life is like right happening right now. And so I, and this is also a little pre easy, ease of use of the internet and traveling. So I just called a travel agent line that we had had connected to our wellness conference and said, I need a ticket to Tulsa. And Getting from Stevens Point to Tulsa is also not the easiest thing to do. There's not a direct flight. And so, and then I didn't know whether or not I was getting a one-way ticket, you know, or like I didn't know what to do or should I get a return trip and just, so we ended up getting, getting me settled with a one-way ticket leaving Madison at like six o'clock and uh, 6.30 in the morning. So I had to drive to Madison, which is about a two-hour drive and then get on a plane and and that would land in Chicago and eventually get to Tulsa. And so in the middle of the night, I'm calling, I'm calling honestly, ran, not random people, but people who I knew were people that I could rely on for like 10 different functions of the conference to continue. And so I'm on the phone with them in the middle and I getting all that settled. And then I get my car, pack a bag for, I don't know how long. And then I drive to Madison and thankfully, I have a friend there that I could leave my car with them so I wouldn't have to leave it at the airport for an unknown period of time. So I was able to have them get my car and, and get it um, to their house. And, you know, so all these little things are compiling. And then I get on the plane and I'm still not sure the condition of my father. So they were still doing testing and unsure of what the of what really was the root 
cause of the problem and how how desperate it was. So I'm not sure if my dad is going to make it by the time I get to Tulsa. So I remember sitting in Chicago and just crying and just waiting for my plane for like an hour and a half, two hour period of time, just crying and just not even moving, not even wanting to do anything. And then I get on the plane and I, when I get this halt, so I get off the plane, my brother came to pick me up and neither of us said a word to each other. I remember getting off the plane we just looked at each other and just bolted, just walked as fast as we could, um, got out to his, got out to his car, got to the hospital. By the time I got to the hospital, then the one thing we knew was that the heart incident was not the result of staph infection, that the staph infection was still localized to the area. So that was good. And my dad, I remember him just being laying, you know, in the hospital bed and being hooked up to everything and just hearing that I was there, like lifted his eye a little bit enough and then gave me a thumbs up. And so that he ended up having a stint and, and everything worked out, you know, but I was there and stayed with him in the hospital for a few days. And then after a while, I got back, when I got back to Stevens Point, starting to get back to normal, about a month later, I had, I had these awful, like, heart palpitations. And then I also had, like, I had, like, a like these muscle palpitations in my lower abdomen. And so I, I called my primary care doctor, who is, um, has a very strong wellness background. So right. he, in, in, I had known him for a while, and I coached his son, so... I had a really good relationship with him and he knew me pretty well. And so he started asking me a bunch of questions about what happened, what's going on in my life recently. Cause he knew that my, even I'd seen him recently. So he knew my physical condition was, was okay. Like he didn't worry too much about me having a heart problem, mm-hmm. but he's like, we started talking about this going through this period with my father and, and leaving, leaving the conference and having to work through all these things. And he's like, He's like, I, that's your stress. And I hadn't, up until that time, I'd never had a stress release that came that much later to really understand mm. how much stress impacted my body. Like I understood like a, a stressful incident in the moment and, you know, feeling that and then being exhausted and overcoming that kind of within a day or back to like some sort of normalcy. But yeah. this was like this weird reaction after a month of time. And then, so he, he just told me to, Eat, eat some banana, bananas for some potassium and just chill out and just try relaxing some more and give myself permission to not feel okay if I don't want to go for like a really long run or you know, knowing what I do for my own benefit. He's like, just give yourself some space. And ever since then, I've had that. I've tried to be keen about knowing those cues for me and knowing when to scale back or when to just allow myself to not feel good for a few days because something's going on that I know is taking a massive toll on me. Yeah. It's, it's so needed. I mean, even, you know, going through an experience like that one, it makes you realize what's really important, right? You're like, Oh my gosh, the most Mm -hmm. important conference, this most important thing in my life until the next most important thing in your life shows up. And you're like, Oh, that's really the most important thing. Like my dad and my family. Right. Um, And it's like, when we get in these crisis states, we realize that. And, I, on the one year anniversary of the car accident this past year, I, so a month ago, basically, um, from when we're talking, I was diagnosed with COVID on May 3rd and I was really upset about it, you know, and I knew, I think once you understand what's happening, 
you can almost step back from it a little bit and be more of an observer, be more of like a, a kind, what they, they say we often need in a situation of trauma, an empathetic witness. That I could almost in some ways be an empathetic witness to myself to say, ooh, I see what's happening here. Ooh, there's some anger coming up uh, toward the person who was irresponsible and was out and about without a mask on and had been exposed and symptomatic and didn't say anything. That's legit. That's righteous anger, Rachel. You're allowed to be frustrated. Um, you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to feel angry. You're, my therapist would have me, my sounds strange, but like growl or like yell sometimes. You have to release these things in healthy ways. And 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 then I saw the dip. Like I know the dip that comes after that is, is depression and sadness. And I felt like I was in a more of a depressed mood over the past month. And it's like, well, of course, when you feel feverish and, you know, I lost my sense of taste and smell for a few days. It's kind of come back. It's muted, but it's it's back. Um, and so anybody, that sense of self-compassion, anybody in this situation right now, Rachel, especially on the anniversary of such an emotional thing happening, anybody would have this reaction. For you, anybody that really cares about a loved one would likely have some type of physiological reaction at some point tied to that process of fear, you know, like or threat of this person I love and care about might not be okay or might not make it. I mean, that's wow. And especially when it's somebody like your father, I mean, that's a really significant, you know, role in your life. And so I think for us, so much of the permission to feel is just once we understand what's happening, we give ourselves more grace. We say, okay, this is part of the process. This is part of how grief works. I'm going to feel sad. It's like, I know that it's coming, right? It's like a movie trailer. <laughs> I know that it's coming. Frustration is coming. Sadness is coming, but so is meaning making. I can come out of this. And now I'm even using it now to say, now in my workshops, I say, I got hit by a car last year, but then I one up myself and got COVID this year. So and <laughs> I'll see people like literally lean into their screen. Like you've got to be joking. And I'm like, I know. How can one person be so lucky? Um, <laughs> and I have to make, I have to make light of it for myself because otherwise I, I, you know, that's part of the permission to feel is like, sometimes there's moments of levity when you just have to, you might have to joke about something if you're at the point where you can, and then also recognize that maybe that same day you're going to feel sad about it. You know, it's like we have this, it's an ebb and flow of emotion and we have to allow instead of resist it. Yeah. And I, I think that's the step that in your work echoes this. I mean, this is what you do is to help us create those meaning, meaningful experiences and, and make it our stories and help us cultivate that story because in that story, in that narrative of going through something is the learning opportunity and the chance for the change that we might need to make or an affirmation of who we are and where we've been. So it's not always a change, but it's right. also a validation and affirmation. Like I'm good. I'm okay. We're all okay. And I'm going to get through this. And I feel glad that I allowed myself to cry. Like, yeah. you know, and that vulnerability is, amazingly critical and, and it's hard being vulnerable is hard and 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 it doesn't matter what scope it is it's yeah. um it's really challenging to be vulnerable but in that vulnerability is where we find the reason why and we we also probably connect to our purpose in that moment because it feels that much in a way for us that it must be really deep in our muscles issues in our souls to bring the whole mind-body-spirit connection together. And that's really 
what you're focused on and helping us navigate through this to create those stories and create those meaning in the in the in the experiences that we have as as tragic or as sometimes micro moments like you said the compilation like um you know it's not always a major tragedy that has to spur this it could be small micro things and and then we throw on the complexity of a cloud like COVID, and then we all kind of go through this grieving process together. Yes. So that's really critical. So Rachel, as we, as we start to wrap up here, um, I wanted to ask you, so moving forward and continuing to crawl out of this COVID environment, what is it that you see as critical for us to understand and appreciate or look forward to or learn about ourselves as we, as we get hopefully a, a sunnier view on 2021 here. Yeah, I mean, I'd say one of the things is to realize that we can make it through hard things. You know, when we go through difficult things, like, oh, I could never deal if that happened, I'd never be able to, and then it happens and you're like, well, I guess I'm in it. I guess I'm gonna figure it out because the nature of a human, right, is to be resourceful. Um, and so I think it's reminded us that, that, that you know, we are, we are, st <laughs> we are still standing. Um, and I think it's an opportunity for us to celebrate. I would encourage everyone listening to think about what is a strength that you've shown up with in the past year? What's the strength you've shown up with? Um, tell a story about how that showed up. You know, I'm like, I, I perseverance, my goodness, if I could pick one word for the past year, it's perseverance, grit, right? That when it was really hard and I didn't want to, and I was tired, um, I did little, you know, we do little things. So, so really connecting to what is the strength you showed up with? Maybe you made people laugh. Maybe you... Um, expressed appreciation to people. Maybe you showed up with humility and you listened and maybe you were courageous or maybe you offered honesty and could speak truth to people. Whatever it is, everyone has a strength that they can offer. So I would invite people to reflect on what's a strength you've shown up with in the past year. Um, to be mindful of those little things we took for granted, like, oh, just going to the grocery store was incidental and now it's like a thing. You know, I mean, mask restrictions are lifting and whatnot, but things that we literally did not think twice about before we're now overly thinking and we're still, we're still going to be in a state where we don't trust people. Um, and that's going to require, I think, years to navigate because it is not normal for us to be in isolation socially. It's not normal. It's not healthy. Um, it's not healthy for us mentally, physically, psychologically. Um, and so I, I think we've realized the power of connection. We've realized how important relationships are. We've realized how much being in the presence of another or getting a hug. I'm such a hugger. I miss, I've missed hugs, you know, um, or not being afraid to interact with or engage with somebody or be close physically to somebody. Um, you know, all of these things that we've, we've gone through that loss. I think part of it is again, acknowledging the loss, acknowledging the grief, recognizing it and thinking to ourselves, there's a phrase I, I like to say, um, that I thought when I was laying in the hospital bed a year, you know, after the accident happened, I was in the trauma room by myself for nine hours. And I thought to myself, there's something here. I was crying and I was sad and I was scared. So this, this is the and. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, and I thought to myself, there's something here about rising up when we get knocked down that I'm going to tell a story about. There's something here. I, I know it. Like I, in that moment, I had hope. I had a glimmer of hope. And so for each and everyone, you know, with us to you know, listening to this conversation, I would invite you to think about what is the glimmer of hope that you're holding on to? What is something in the past that's given you hope? Who is someone in the past that has given you hope? Could you reconnect with them? Could you reach out to them? Can you open up 
about any struggle that you might be dealing with. See a therapist. Google to see if there's a somatic therapist, S-O-M-A, somatic therapist in your area. You know, there's so many things we can do, and the more we realize what we can control, the less overwhelming it is to get consumed by all the things that we feel like we can't control. So I would invite people, the phrase I was going to mention was I, I was thinking sitting in the bed, that even though I didn't choose it, I'm going to find a way to use it. So even though I didn't choose this, I'm going to find a way to use it. I did not choose to get hit by a truck, but I am not going to waste that crisis. I did not choose to get COVID. I did, not, I did not choose to launch my business in the year of a global pandemic. I did not choose any of these things. But I was, not, I was determined to not be a victim of any of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the opportunity we have. We have the opportunity to say, to own our sense of agency and to connect to a sense of hope. I love that. Own our sense of agency and give ourselves hope. And that, that space and grace that we talk often about in allowing that to envelop our experience so that we can use it and find the soul of and the the courage and the validation and all the different things that we're seeking in those stories. So that's beautiful. Thank you so much for for telling us all your stories today, Rachel, and helping us navigate this pathway and, and your work continues to encourage and inspire people to be great. And so we want to also applaud and thank you for all the work that you're doing and uh, in the promos for this, there'll be links to your site so people will know how to find you, connect with you, and watch and read your blog and learn more about your work if they are not familiar with it. But mostly I just want to say thank you for your time today and really appreciate you coming on the highway to well. Yeah, this was a great, great conversation. I think it'll be impactful for a lot of people. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks.